Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret and today I am talking to Dr. Lynn Cagle. She is the co-author of Hidden Brilliance, Unlocking the Intelligence of Autism. Lynn is a clinical professor at the Stanford School of Medicine. She and her husband developed Pivotal Response Treatment, which focuses on motivation. She has been supporting autistic individuals for more than 40 years. Welcome, Dr. Lynn Cagle. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And so although we are talking generally about children with autism today, I urge you to listen to this. First of all, almost certainly you have a child with autism somewhere in your life, but also, and Lynn, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that as a mom with a kid on the spectrum, I find that so much of what I learn about helping kids with autism applies in so many situations. There are so many kids who don't have autism who still struggle with transitions, who still may have particular sensitivities. And so I think for our audience, even if you don't have a child with autism living in your home, there will be good takeaways for you from this episode. I think that's so important that you mention that because some of the research that we've done on behavior, especially, suggests that children don't have behavior issues because they're trying to be naughty or things like that. They're just have behavior issues because they're trying to communicate. And that's kind of true across the board. So there's a lot of things we've learned from children with autism, and it is just a spectrum. All the children have some behaviors that the children with autism do, but a lot of the things, most of them are relevant to all children. I think that's so important and something that I really liked about this book. We talked to Dr. Becky, who her thesis is Good Inside. That's the name of her book. And that the idea of approaching kids, kids are good inside. And so therefore, what we're always trying to figure out is what's blocking that? What's in the way of that? What's making it difficult for them to communicate? And I found it really touching in this book, and I have had this experience myself, that I think a lot of times kids with autism we struggle a little bit more sometimes to see past this diagnosis and past the behaviors that can be challenging. These kids are also good inside and figuring out and you sort of start with this idea of connection and interests and how to begin the process of connecting with kids with autism. So let's start there. 
Great. Well, we know I, years ago when I first started in the field, we didn't consider the kids' interests at all. And there's still a lot of programs that are somewhat like that, where they're just not really considering the kids' interests. But we feel like autism, a large part of the issue is a motivation problem. Things are hard for them. It's early communication is hard. And so they really need to be motivated to want to engage because it is so easy to try to avoid if something's challenging. So we really try to look for where their interests are. And I think this is kind of true of all children. Like we know even children with or late talkers or language delays, if you use their interests and go for what they're playing with or what they're doing or what they're interested in, that will have a lot more success. And I guess even children that don't have any diagnosed issues also, same thing. I think all of us remember back to school, the times that we remember the most are the ones where we did a really fun project rather than sitting doing page after page after page of a workbook. So I think just really looking for kids' interests is so important, and especially children with autism who tend to avoid or try to escape learning situations because it's difficult. We've found that if we do focus on their interests in the intervention, we don't really need to worry about any interfering behaviors. They just kind of drop out by themselves. They're not trying to avoid or escape the situation. I read a description a long time ago. I should have cited the author, but I don't remember who it was talking about reaching kids with autism. And they were talking about how if I saw you sitting in a park and I wanted to go to a movie and I walked up and you were reading a J.D. Salinger novel and I walked up and slapped it out of your hand and said, we're going to the movie, you know, that you would think, I don't want to do that. I'm doing the thing I want to do. And then it used the example of, if I really wanted you to come to the movie, I might sit next to you reading another J.D. Salinger novel for a long time until you noticed. Then we would start talking about J.D. Salinger. Then I would make the connection, oh, there's this movie playing that reminds me of his characters. And that the idea of connecting interest to activity, I think, can seem very intellectual. But that example really spoke to me of, okay, I want you to get from here to there, but it's going to take more steps than just, hey, let's go to a movie. Because my go with the flow kid might be like, yes, I would love to, but my kid on the spectrum and my kid who is neurotypical both need a little more convincing than that. And so you use a lot of examples in your book of actual children that you have worked with. What's Give us an example of connecting through interest. Well, I think that we can do it in a lot of different areas. So usually the first thing that parents notice when they feel like something, well, when they seek out help is when their children aren't talking. They may have noticed a few things before, like some eye contact or affect, but usually when they're not talking or don't start talking or lose words is when they first kind of reach out for help. And that early communication is so important. If we try to make children fit into what we want them to say, they're not going to be motivated to talk. And most kids that are learning language as they should on those milestones, they might be saying mama and dada and auntie and doggy and things like that. But our kids often, sometimes their first word will be cookie or something on if they want to turn the light on and off. And it's so important, even if it's sometimes people get worried if it's a behavior that they don't like, like the child will turn lights on and off. But we've learned from the researchers that it's okay to use that interest. 
even if it doesn't seem like it's what other children without autism might be interested in, it's okay to learn that. You can have them say on and then turn on the switch. So you're really just getting in into their own interest, getting those learning opportunities. And later on, when the kids get into school, the same thing pertains. For example, if the kids have to write a story, sometimes a teacher will say, I want you to write a story about your summer vacation. But our children might want to write a story about Pokemon. And as long as they're learning to write, it's more important that they have their interests involved. They'll be more, they'll have less avoidance behavior. They'll come to the table quicker. They'll do more work. So it's really important, even like math, if they're not interested in learning, you know, to add numbers on a worksheet, but they are interested in learning how much things cost and adding numbers that way, you can kind of incorporate that. So just really figuring out what their interests are and incorporating in those into as many learning situations throughout the day as possible. I think that's really true. And I also think it can be hard for parents, and I speak for myself, that sometimes when you have a kid who's struggling with anything, but in this case, let's talk about an autism diagnosis, to feel like your goal is to make your child act like a quote unquote normal child. And so therefore, like normal children go to the zoo and you point to the animals and they say the name. But if my kid's interest does not lay there, that it's just going to be a frustrating situation for both of us and that I'm going to come away from that situation saying, my kid doesn't have a fun day at the zoo and therefore I'm robbed of that experience and we're not having a good time and everything's going terribly. That to be able to lean in, it's finding where that experience lives for your kid versus for yourself, I think, which can be hard. That it may not seem interesting enough to turn the fan on and off and talk about that for a long time because the regular kids are at the zoo. And I think that that it's Amy often says the pain is in the gap. And I think for me, sometimes the pain was in the gap that like the zoo is good and the fan is not good. And that letting those things be morally neutral was challenging for me. Do you find that for a lot of parents? Yes. And I think there's so many things involved in what you just said. One thing is, is that I don't think as a culture, we've embraced these children well enough to make the parents feel comfortable and really come as a society to help and chip in. And the parents, a lot of the families, and we talk about this in our book, a lot of the families feel more and more isolated because they feel like they can't go to the zoo or maybe they might have a behavior problem if they go to the park or maybe if there's an ambulance that goes by, they might have a meltdown. So they just avoid and their lives become even more isolated. And that's exactly what we don't want. We really want the kids to be out there and just giving you an example of the kids need socialization. That's, they have difficulty with socialization. So we need to, you know, work on that and learn ways to help them be more social. Because as we know, verbal adults with autism say they want to have friends and it's harder to make friends when you haven't had help it with it all the way along. And so I had a child recently that I was working with at a preschool and he loved to sit there and open and close the door that he'd lay on his side and just open the, close the door to the playhouse over and over and over again. But the other kids kind of are interested in doors if you call them over. So we said, Hey, come over here. Look, 
you know, this little guy's opening and closing the door. Let's talk about it. And they were taking turns opening and closing the door. We talked about hinges. We talked about doorknobs. We talked about all kinds of things. So a lot of these activities that are special interests that maybe aren't, you wouldn't think would be so interesting with the kids that don't have an autism diagnosis, you can tweak them a little bit to make them interesting and then have those social goals. So, you know, there is the idea that we can take these interests and turn them into social things. We do this with clubs. We've developed lots of clubs around the kids' interests. And in fact, they're usually voted the president of the club because they have so much knowledge on this particular subject. And I think I wrote in the book about a little guy that I work with now that scores below the fifth percentile on all the language tests. But he knows everything about drains, everything. I mean, He's so interested in drains. Every time he sees one, he's down on his hands and knees. And it's like incredible how much he knows about drains. So tapping into some of those interests and and turning them into a social activity is very important. I want to pause on that. We're talking to Dr. Lynn Cagle, the co-author of Hidden Brilliance, Unlocking the Intelligence of Autism. And we'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. 
Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health, and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. There are so many examples in this book that I think are really helpful. I think sometimes, you know, the language around autism has changed to some degree and you'll hear autism is a superpower and it actually makes you special. All things that I happen to believe, but I think when we get too facile with them, it's we're skipping the important work that you're talking about of actually facilitating these connections. And my sister-in-law, who's an educator, was telling me when one of my guys was struggling in elementary school, the day is set up in elementary school in a way that is almost maximally difficult sometimes for kids with autism. Because she said, as an adult, nobody says to you, okay, Margaret, it's art time, 40 minutes of art. Okay, stop art now. You're done. Like, oh, you were into your painting? Too bad. Put it away. It's time for archery. Like archery, what? Okay, I guess I'm shooting arrows now. I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, now it's time for English. Now social studies. And that some of those things I'm not interested in it at all. Some of those things I'm interested in and don't want to stop just because there's an arbitrary time limit. Some of those things other kids are really good at and I'm terrible at it and that makes me feel bad. And then some of those things I'm super interested in and then a bell rings and no more of that for me. And that that's nothing like how adults live their lives. I get up in the morning and I do the one thing I'm pretty good at, which is make a podcast and run a company about podcasting all day. And then I make dinner, which I'm medium good at, you know, and then I relax. And so I think that this book taps into like just first of all, recognizing the water that the kids live in, like recognizing the environment and where the environment is difficult, but then also finding, connecting them to learning in a way that I don't see happening as much as I wish. I think that's really important. And I think we tried to write the book to bring out the best in every child because some children, you know, we do see these really strong skills where they're really good at math or really good at music. But some children, we don't really see them right off the bat. Like my nephew, we didn't really, he, you know, when he was younger and nonverbal and at two and a half, nobody saw that he would, he had a lot of interfering behaviors such as throwing toys and I noticed that he could put them together so quickly. And I thought, this kid is really smart. And I've had two kids in the last couple of years that I've worked with that people said they're never going to start using verbal communication. And after two years, they started using words. And that was two years of really working on those words. So kids, 
but we kind of had a feeling because we could see that they could tune into certain pictures and visual things. So we had a feeling that they had some capabilities. And while some kids will learn, start saying first words in the first session, other kids take a lot longer. So regardless of the behavior, I think it's important to just really try to look at what these areas of strength are. And, and we're just so used to, especially my profession and other professions that work with special needs children's or children with differences, I should say, we're kind of trained to look for what's wrong. We're not trained to write and look for what's right. And that gives us a really good starting point to really look at all these things that are going well. And then we have a place to start and say, what can we do based on these things that the children are doing well? And will you tell that story from the book? Because it really spoke to me about your nephew being assessed and breaking the toy and like what you saw in that experience, which was different than what the assessors saw. Yes. So in our very first session, when he was getting diagnosed by the state, this was back when California state paid for services. Now they go through the insurance, but they had some assessors from the state come out to his house and we had this ramp that he loved to put the balls down. It was a taller than him and he'd reach up, put the balls down and watch them roll down. And the assessors were saying, does he say any words? And he had said an echolalic word here and there. So I thought, well, you never know. So I held up the ball and said, ball, to see if maybe we could get him to say that before I gave it to him. And he got really frustrated. And he took the toy, picked it up, and threw it down as hard as he could. And it must have gone into at least 20 or 30 pieces. They were all over the floor. And... When it's somebody that's that close to your heart, you really pick up on the emotions of the assessor. And I saw their eyes get big and he, and step back and like, ooh, you know, kind of moan. You know, you could just feel that they didn't really want to be in this room it's with this. Not the right choice. <laughs> yep. So, but then he looked horrified that the ramp had broken into so many pieces and he put it together so quickly. I could not believe your it. nephew did this little boy. Yeah. My nephew did. He put it together and I would have had to get out the man or Google the manual because I had no clue of how to put it together, but his, the report came back and didn't even mention that all it mentioned was his, you know, disruptive behaviors and other few disruptive behaviors that he had that, you know, to me was this, idea that he could put together this puzzle or this, you know, maze was so incredible that that should have been like the first paragraph, but he did do well. I mean, looking at those strengths, it, it was a lot of effort. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, it's not like you can take him to the zoo and they're going to learn because it's just, you just talk about things. We do have to set up these opportunities. We try to have the opportunities in everyday routines so the parents don't feel stressed about, oh, no, I got to sit down and work with my child. Just we try to have our parents learn how to do opportunities throughout their everyday routines. But getting back to our original point, we did a lot of work with him. He did. He's in college now. He did really well. He's his teachers loved him. He's the nicest person you could meet. I mean, probably I would say that most of the people with autism that I know are the nicest people you could meet. Yeah. What I like about that story, and I think I keep coming back to it because for me, this was the aha of the book, is that I feel like with neurotypical children, the kind of, okay, we've solved a lot of stuff and now we're on to 
communicating through difficult behaviors, be it with our teenagers, our two-year-olds, but that somehow some special needs, especially autism, has been left behind in that? Like, well, they, we've got to stop that rocking that they're doing and get them to focus on the blackboard. And it seems to me that this book, it really is about, I've had this experience with my own child who in first grade, I was told by a teacher, like, well, he doesn't even know his sight words, you know, because that's what we care about, the sight words. And I said, do me a favor. Tomorrow, if you have a quiet moment or have one of the aides, go sit within the back, hand him a book he's never seen before. He'll read it to you. He doesn't care about sight words because he, that's not how he learns. You know, he knows how to read, but he doesn't either. I don't know if it's a lack of capability. I don't know if it's a lack of interest, but yes, he does not want to stand while you recite words. On the flip side, I understand that they're trying to manage 25 kids in a classroom and that a kid who, you know, needs to be reached in a very special way makes that difficult. So I wonder what you think about in terms of the dynamic within a classroom. Inclusion, is it, you know, we've been pushing for inclusion, which I think is very important to have kids mainstreamed and and with their peers at the same time. Is it costing some opportunities for kids who could use more specialized, perhaps, instruction? Well, I think as an educator, I can take some of the blame on this. As I'm not sure that we always teach our teachers properly. I like the idea of inclusion. I like everybody being together. All children have challenges in some area. There's no such thing as a perfect kid or a normal kid or a typical <laughs> kid. Any parent that tells you their kid is perfect. Is- We've got that. Yeah, no, I think everyone's nodding. We got it. Yes. <laughs> we all, as parents, we all go through ups and downs with our children and they have weaknesses and strengths. And I think that the children with autism, I think as educators, we haven't gotten to the point where we're really training our teachers well enough in individualization. Every single 25 or 30 kids in that classroom is going to be at a different level. And I think if the teachers learn to individualize it, it helps all the children in the class. And it's kind of like a little, when you're washing the dishes, if you have a little tiny baby, you're not going to have them put the glass in the dishwasher, but you might have them put their plastic plate or their plastic fork in there. So they're learning these activities, but kind of at their own level. And I think this inclusion, if we really want individuals with autism to be employed, which is good for the whole, everybody, we need to be able to include them from early on as often as possible and as much as possible. And I think something that we talk about in the book that's really underused is the peers. There's a lot of good articles, research, tons of it on peer mediation and peer-assisted techniques. And I found that from preschool all the way up through college, people, there is such a nice group of peers that really want to help. So in little kids, you know, if I'm working on verbal communication in preschool, they'll come up and say, what are you doing? I'll say, oh, we're helping him learn how to say words. And they'll get right in there and they'll help. And some of them are actually very good. And then all the way through the lifespan, even in college, we had a program where we helped college students that needed, that felt like they'd like some help with socializing. We 
paired them up with peer mentors just to have that support when they went to clubs around their interests or when they went on outings. And there were a lot of great friendships created that way. And so, and it's really good. The research on the peers show that it's really helpful to peers. It gives them more empathy. It gives them that feeling of accomplishment when they can help. And they also get a lot of extra support and attention from helping their peers that have needs in certain areas and helping support them. So I think with the large numbers of kids being diagnosed with autism these days, I think we're really going to have to reach out and get more peer support going. And it's really important. I mean, adults talk to children differently than children talk to children. We're a little bit more accommodating. And sometimes kids find it easier to talk to adults than they do to other children. But if the peers get the right support and learn how to really support their friends with autism, it can make a really big difference. There's a great example in the book. I want to take a break and we'll be back. We're talking to Dr. Lynn Cagle, the co-author of Hidden Brilliance, Unlocking the Intelligence of Autism. Amy, when I'm dehydrated, I get headaches. I get cranky and I don't feel good in general. Also, I am dehydrated a lot of the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> because being good with the water bottle is one thing, but getting that sodium and potassium with the fluids, turns out that is the key to saying optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate. Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H dot com, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. There's an example in the book. This is something else that I think is very important. When we talk about peer support, peer education, whatever it happens to be, that the default can sometimes be this kid is doing, you know, a good service by being kind and nice to this kid with autism as a favor. 
And one of the things that you talk about in this unlocking brilliance is you use the example of the kid playing with the doors. Hey, let's all learn about hinges. This person, this kid knows everything about drains. Let's have this kid explain drains to everybody one day. There was another example in the book. I can't remember what the topic was. I think something in maybe even physics, something that a kid understood and centering the kid with their knowledge so that there is a feeling of this child has something to offer and something to gain from this friendship versus these are kids that we are somehow, you know, taking on volunteer hours to interact with. Right. And I think it's so important to really carefully pick the peer mediators because they have to have more than just wanting to volunteer. We really want to pick kids that are in it for the right reasons. And I think you're right. I mean, looking at the strengths, too, of the children with autism too often. I've had a few kids that have that were very visual. And even though their communication was quite delayed, they learned how to read very young. So we had them read stories to the class in kindergarten. So the other kids would know that they have these strengths. And no matter how small or how large they are, a lot of times it's really helpful to go in to look at when you go in and set up these peer groups to talk to them about what are their favorite things? What are their strengths? So we really want to focus on the strengths. And then again, really pick kids that have the right reason, not that want a college, you know, letter for college or something on their resume, but really sincerely love to interact with all different people and want, you know, a lot of times kids like those structured activities. I mean, there's a lot of kids out there that aren't diagnosed with autism that, okay, recess is okay, but they don't feel like it's meaningful to them. And when you give them something meaningful to do that's structured, I remember my own kids used to love the days that they had structured activities at lunchtime. They'd have dances and think dance groups or something, and they love those things. So a lot of kids really do like to have those structured activities. And a lot of them will end up going into the field of autism eventually. And it's great for them to get that experience. And and like I said, it, the literature shows that it really gives those kids without autism a sense of accomplishment. They feel good about themselves. They feel good about what they're doing. So there are a lot of kids out there that maybe do like to have things feel like they're doing something constructive during those free periods. And we talked a little bit about this, but I want to make sure to really highlight, because it's so much of what really spoke to me in the book, using motivation, tapping into motivation as opposed to just being overwhelmed by behaviors. Can you talk a little bit about your process? And then also, because I think the behaviors can't be taken out of the situation. If you have a kid who's you know, raging a lot. It can be hard to do anything else. So we can't be facile and say, well, just focus on their strengths. Don't worry about the behaviors. If the behaviors are so disruptive that they're disrupting your life. But there is a connection between connecting with the motivation and changing the behaviors, correct? Yes. And I think the first thing I like to do when I see behavior problems is to see how the teaching is going. Because oftentimes, I have a lot of parents that tell me when the providers drive up to their home, the kids run and start crying. (laughs) And they shouldn't be crying. They should be excited because we're using their favorite toys and their favorite activities. And, And so I think the first thing I like to look at is, is the teaching fun for the child? 
if it, we've done several studies and showing that if children have activities that they like and it's preferred that the disruptive or interfering behaviors will kind of drop out on their own. So really that's number one. But I also really advocate for a multi-component program. We know that these interfering behaviors or whatever you want to call them, challenging or disruptive behavior can really block a lot of opportunities for the children. So I'd like to also do a multi-component program if we see that happening. First thing I look for motivation, are the kids having fun? Are they enjoying the curriculum or enjoying the activities and tweaking that? So they still have the same learning goals, but it's just being taught in a fun way. And then second, also to figure out what they're trying to communicate. So if they're trying to communicate that something's too hard to teach them to say, or even if they don't have the verbal skills to teach them a signal or a sign to indicate that it's too hard, or maybe they are bored. We have a lot of kids that get bored and maybe, you know, to indicate that, you know, we need to change the teaching a little bit to be able to be a little faster pace and So, and then there's other procedures that we can use. There's lots of procedures for behavior. I like to nip that in the bud. If that, those behavior problems are occurring, they can really have some long-term negative consequences. And, And the same thing for any child. We know that that's the same thing for any child. All of us who have kids know that we have our tantrums, you know. And so they're really just getting the children to use their words, learn to replace those problematic behaviors with something that will communicate the same thing and are efficient and effective, not so difficult that the kids won't want to do them and will engage in that aggressive or disruptive behavior that works. It usually works too often. If something gets hard in school, the kids engage in disruptive behavior and they take them out of the classroom. So the kids just learn, yay, I just got out of class. Now I know how to not have to do it. So really a multi-component program. But first thing is making sure the kids are enjoying it because that way you don't have to do a special program. It'll kind of drop out on its own. And then one more thing I'm going to add because you talked a little bit about this earlier and I meant to say something, but I didn't, is some things aren't that big of a deal. Like we've learned that there's to be to have a diagnosis you also have to have repetitive behaviors restricted and repetitive behaviors and sometimes there may be something like you or I might tap our foot or play with our hair sometimes they have little behaviors that don't interfere with learning and they're really not that big of a deal it's not worth a big huge program if they're not really interfering that much that might be something where you teach the community that that's okay. It's a way they calm themselves or whatever, that it's not really that big of a deal. And then really focus on this more important things. Yeah, I really was struck in this book because it took me, I started this journey 15 years ago and things have changed so much. And one of the things really, I feel like thematically, this book is about something that it took me a little too long to get to. It's okay that some of these behaviors exist that you want to get at motivation and connection and not worry so much about, right, stop tapping your finger. I mean, I hum, I sit here while we record and I pull the cap off and on my pen, it just helps me what? Concentrate. It's a self-stimulating behavior as is a kid stimming with autism. And so I think that it just takes a very calm and you know, for lack of a better word, loving approach to finding what's best in all of our kids. And I really appreciate this book. 
even if you don't have a kid with autism, but especially if you do, Dr. Lynn Cagle's book, she's the co-author of the book, Hidden Brilliance, Unlocking the Intelligence of Autism. Lynn, tell us where we can find more about your work, find the book, and where people who are struggling with maybe a kid with autism can find some support from you. The book is online. It's on Amazon. And we also have a website, hidden-brilliance.org. And it's really our hope in this book that people really change the way they think about children with autism. It is a momentum, but we really hope that this helps that momentum where people really look for the strengths and look for teaching situations where the children will have fun and enjoy learning. So they want to learn more instead of wanting to avoid the situation and really just look at those little areas of strength and focus on the great things that the kids have rather than what they need. Focus on what they have and what we can work with. We will be linking to everywhere you can find Dr. Cagle and her book. And I will be buying some copies personally and handing them out to some schools and friends. Dr. Lynn, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. I enjoyed it too. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 